0: To pull every tooth from the mouth of America so that we're in a position to where when the time comes, we can't fight back. Welcome to the
1: Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Welcome back, Liberty lint Rollers to another edition of Lions of Liberty, your home for all the great conversations about the ideas of liberty that you are looking for. This is the 253rd episode of this program, which means you can find the show notes today featuring links to everything we discuss over at lionsofliberty.com slash 253. Today we are sponsored by Health Excellence Select. And guys, with the open enrollment period coming up, many of you have major health care decisions to make We want to help make it a little bit easier on you, so why not check out a great free market alternative to your standard Obamacare insurance by heading over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. My guest today is making his second appearance on this program after first appearing way back in episode number 31. So be sure to go back and check that out if you're new to the show. Since that time, he has run for Senate in Georgia and even launched a very brief bid to become the vice presidential nominee of the Libertarian Party in 2016. I am pleased to welcome back the Minister of Truth himself, Mr. Derek
0: Grayson. Mr. Grayson, are you ready to roar? You know, when I roar, I yell freedom, so I will roar. Freedom! All right. Now
1: that now that's a roar right there, my friend. I'm excited. <laughs> now, Derek, as I mentioned, you have been on the show before, way back in its infancy, back in episode number 31. So why don't you just update us on what you've been doing since that time? I know you've remained very vocal um, with your YouTube videos. You've been very politically active uh, over there in Georgia and really on on the national level. So what's 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 been going on with T since 2014?
0: Well, uh, that was my first run for U.S. Senate. I had a second run that started in 2015 for the 2016 election for US Senate. I have remained active on the political periphery, if you will, watching what's taking place and giving my analysis primarily on Facebook and writing. I've not done as many videos or as many videos as I used to do in the past, but I've recently kind of picked up and started doing maybe one or two videos a week. I was once just exclusively doing them on Facebook. You know, the sad part is people today will not listen to a long video. And if you make a post that's more than two or three paragraphs long, they won't read it. One of the biggest problems today that I've noticed is our attention span. And when you take that and couple it with the fact that the press has mastered spoon-feeding people with sound bites, they can distract, misdirect, and lead the majority of the public down any path that they would like because most of the listening and viewing public will not take the time to dig deeper to get a better understanding Of what's going on. So that's the biggest battle that I am contending with now. And that's what I am currently working to overcome.
1: No doubt about it. I put out three shows a week, and they're all between 30 and 40 minutes. But it really seems that a lot of people. And I have great listeners that listen to the program, but it seems that our, our society seems to really value seven seven-second Snapchat videos and and 40-character tweets more than they do uh, actually anything that can really explain it and get, get in-depth on an issue. And, and the fact is, you, you really can't get to the truth of things in a tweet, in a meme. You can only really, really spit something out there and hope it kind of spins someone's mind in a certain way. But if you really want to get to the nitty-gritty, to the truth of the issues like I know you strive to do, you can't do it like that. You can't do it in a sound. Bite.
0: Nope, you can't.
1: Now, Derek, you you, you became uh, kind of on the radar. Um, I know you've been on a lot of people people's radars uh, with your activism, but uh, even more so among libertarians um, this past year, because you did find yourself uh, as a nominee for the vice presidential slot um, at the Libertarian Party's National Convention this year. So why don't you just tell us all about that? How did that come about? Because I know on a Thursday of that week, you weren't even really considered a, a potential nominee. And then fast forward to that very next Sunday, suddenly you're one of the top four Vote getters uh, for that spot. So, how did that all come about?
0: I was laying on my couch watching TV. We had just finished our campaign. Of course, only got about 12% of the vote for U.S. Senate and the Republican Party. So, I had intentioned to do nothing for a month, maybe two.
1: Just to unwind and, uh, you know, get back yes. to reality a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. And I start getting uh, Facebook messages and text messages from a guy by the name of Van Gutierre, begging me to come down to uh, Orlando, to their convention. Now, I will point out that when I was running, because I supported Ron Paul so vigorously and because of my political platform. People would always say, oh, Derek Grayson's libertarian. I've never publicly said I'm a libertarian. Right. Never. I've always identified myself as a conservative constitutionalist. Uh that's it, who's running in the Republican Party. And so then was and and, and I was telling him, man, look, I just finished. This is last minute, you know.
1: I'm on Um, my couch. I got my feet up.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And he said, man, I really need you to get down here. And I was like, so I told him, I said, look, y'all cover all expenses and I'll come. Because, you know, I never charge people to go and speak because I consider it an opportunity to educate America anytime I can get on the stage. And I value that more than, you know, know, I'm not like Bill Clinton, pay me $500,000 and (laughs) I'll come speak. Uh, If I get an opportunity to talk to people, I do it. So I I thought by telling him to cover all the expenses, he'd go away. And you know what? Next thing I know, an hour later, okay, man, we're going to get you a plane ticket.
1: (laughs) They called your bluff, huh?
0: They called my bluff. And so I said, well, if they're willing to do all of this, I said, I need a hotel, not a a dump. You know, it ain't got to be five star, but, you know three-star hotel that's comfortable and clean I said I will come and you you know you pay for my bags and they agreed to all of that so next thing you know five hours later I'm on a plane to uh, Orlando now I thought the guy just wanted me to come down and speak (laughs) next thing I know right there we want you to run for VP what so you, yeah, you thought because, you were just
1: showing up to to give a talk and kind of express your views about everything to people and, and kind of move along.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and the next thing you say, because we would love for you to be the VP choice of Austin Peterson. So they had me to meet Austin Peterson and you know, we talked and whatnot. And I met and and talked with the other guy, uh McAfee. And did
1: you meet and, with Gary you know, Johnson at all?
0: I shook his hand and I told him I would support him, but when I realized and found out that he wanted William Weld as his VP, that ended it for me. And so,
1: did you did you know much about William Weld prior to that? Did you did you immediately know that that was not someone that uh, you know you thought should be associated with the ideas of liberty?
0: Yes, uh, you know I'd heard about him before. I've heard talk about him before, and so my thinking was, uh, Mister Shark. That that should be the guy that should be the VP. So when I get there, they got me there too late and they told me, we want you to go up on the debate stage. And I was like, what? <laughs> but of course, I got there too late. So I say, well, you know, it was no skin off my back because that wasn't why I came down there. And the next day, the next thing I know, on the next day, they are t- taking up tokens to get me nominated for you know, the, the the VP selection. And um, as you know, I got to make two speeches and I made them. And one of the things that I said to the Libertarian Party was, you have something that Democrats and Republicans don't have. Not only can you pick your vice your presidential choice, you get to choose who the VP is going to be. Don't let them give you William Weld.
1: And you, you mentioned him by name in that speech. You said this is, you should not choose this guy.
0: There you go. I, see, I believe that the only way you can change the country is by naming names. So, right. you know, I'm a naming names kind of guy. Absolutely. And when I saw that I came in second, not second place, fourth place, I said, I'll be doing a disservice if I go another round. Sharp needs to win because he is the best choice. So I asked them to let me come up and do a concession speech so that I could throw my support and ask everybody that voted for me to pick Sharp. If Sharp had become the vice presidential choice, I tell you today that I would have campaigned for Sharp and Gary Johnson. Vigorously.
1: What what was it about Larry Sharp upon meeting him? I, I assume you weren't terribly familiar with him before the convention, but uh what was it about meeting him and whatever conversations you had that, that caused you to, to realize this is somebody principal, this is somebody I can get behind, this is someone I can give my endorsement to right here on the spot.
0: Based on his platform, he was more of a constitutionalist than William Whale. See you, when you yeah, have and that, a person, might not be saying much about William yeah, Weld, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you have a person that has a record, you don't dismiss it. William Weld has a record of not being a constitutionalist or for limited government, a well documented record. Sharp didn't, so he would have gotten an opportunity to prove himself. His platform spoke libertarianism, and You know, he deserved, I think he was the best VP candidate, second to me, of course, because, you know, I'm a strict constitutionalist. But, you know, it didn't come out that way. And I think that that's because they sponsored enough people to ensure to be at that convention. Gary Johnson's campaign sponsored enough people to be at that convention to guarantee that he would get the choice that he wanted and i understand why he wanted william will meaning that the,
1: felt, the, the johnson campaign specifically picked people out and paid to send them to the convention just so they yes. could go there and make sure he gets nominated but also make sure that william weld gets nominated
0: that's exactly what happened and his logic i believe and i'm speculating on this is if there are two governors running that were popular they stand a better chance of getting more press coverage than if it was Johnson and some unknown candidate. And that's what Johnson was counting on more media coverage. And he said as much when he got up um and Im- implored people to pick William Whale, he was talking about, we'll get more press coverage. He mentioned that himself. So that was what that was all about. It wasn't about, He didn't care about William Wells' record or his past or anything like that. And he probably surmised to himself, I'm the guy that's going to be president, so I really don't care about his past. But the guy has been in the media before, so I have a better chance of getting that 15% in five national polls if I just had some no-name guy. So so that...
1: Was that an immediate red flag to you when you saw that Johnson's main argument for Weld was not, you know, his positions or the fact that he felt he was the most principled? It was really that he thought he could get them in with the cool kids. Essentially, he could get them more press coverage and get in with that those establishment sort of uh, Republican folks that William Weld is is connected to.
0: William Weld was the red flag itself.
1: Well, that's just but not when- a, that's not a reference to his red face at all. <laughs>
0: No, not at all. But Johnson's speech to encourage people to pick Weld explained why and, and, and his logic. And so with that, I said, um, you know, now I understand. And, you know, but I still threw my support behind sharp And when they elected Weld, I said then no support for Johnson from me uh, because he's playing the same old game stacking the deck and taking away uh, the viable choices from the people, whether they win or lose, give the people what they want. Don't lead them down the path you want to take them. So, you know, that being said, the libertarian party did what, what they wanted to do. Uh, and they are no different in terms of the games that people play in other party in the other two parties. So, That was, you know, I thought the Libertarian Party was a little more organic uh, than cookie cutter, uh, so to speak, but hey. I did my best to try and help.
1: Is there someone that you felt would have been a better choice at the top of the ticket? I know you, you met with Austin Peterson. There were people pushing for you guys to sort of form a ticket. And then I know John McAfee actually, he actually tossed his support behind you after after he conceded uh, his, his run for the presidency. He went out and, and encouraged people to vote for you for the VP slot.
0: Yeah. I think under the circumstances, you know, 2020, you know, hindsight, Austin Peterson and John McAfee would have probably have been the better two, McAfee, because I know he's just straight up honest. You know, and he just tells it like it is. But of course, he wouldn't have been ready for prime time. A lot mainstream America pr- could probably have not handled John McAfee. But John McAfee was very sincere, very honest, very down to earth, very touchable. Austin Peterson had the Better platform, as far as I'm concerned, more in line with my constitutionalist views than Gary Johnson or John McAfee. So he would have been the better guy. And but I'll go ahead and say this: Austin Peterson had this air of untouchableness about him, which you know gave me a little pause. But I did like the fact that he gave a gift to. Gary Johnson and Gary Johnson threw it in the trash. I thought that was just pathetic.
1: Were you there to witness that? Did you did you see the aftermath of that that event? I the saw that,
0: yeah. Yeah, I saw the aftermath.
1: Yeah. Were they real? I mean, I I you hear reports, but I haven't spoken to anyone that was actually there, so I'm kind of curious. I mean, was there a lot of tension in the room at that point? I mean, it was kind of a I mean, you saw Austin giving a really a, a a gesture of respect to Gary by giving him that gift. At the same time, in the very same sentence, he went out and endorsed Alicia Dern over Johnson's pick, William Weld. So was it was it the non endorsement of William Weld by Austin Peterson that that really set Gary off? Or I mean, what was it about that exchange that that really made Gary angry and made him laugh? out and just toss it in the trash?
0: Well, I don't think he thought it was sincere.
1: Do you think it was sincere?
0: Yes, I think it was sincere. He made an effort of giving him something that he had bought for himself and he was willing to give it to Gary Johnson. So I think it was sincere in the fact, hey, Gary Johnson, you know, we both fought a good fight. I didn't win. You did. And just to show you that I'm going to support your candidacy, here it goes. But that should have had nothing to do with him voting for somebody else for VP.
1: Let's move on, because as you've stated, that you are obviously not supporting the Gary Johnson campaign, uh, particularly, like you said, from your experience at the convention, seeing uh, some of the sort of machinations that went on there and and seeing his push for William Weld. uh, You have in the past few months really come out strongly in favor of Donald Trump. So why don't you just make the case for why you currently support Donald Trump? Why do you feel that he is the best choice for president? And why does he, for you, as someone who calls himself a strict constitutionalist, why do you feel that Donald Trump meets enough of those requirements for you To you know, be to uh, be worthy of your support.
0: Okay, so you know, I've put out a few videos. I did one today talking about why Trump won the debate and Hillary lost. But to get people to understand, and and let me tell you something, I have been cursed, called names. I, I, you know, called a traitor. It's just unbelievable. And I went through the same thing when I supported. Ron Paul. Black people called me an Uncle Tom, a bootlicker. you know, and, and people in the Republican Party, you know, called me a traitor, you know, for supporting Ron Paul, that I was wasting my vote, my effort. So I've been through all of that. So I've learned to ignore all of that because I research for myself. Donald Trump is an anomaly within the Republican Party, just like I am. I am not establishment. I don't support establishment. I name names. Well, Donald Trump is also not establishment. Now, is he a strict constitutionalist like I am? No, he's not. But he is, an, he is anti-establishment. And Donald Trump has addressed is, is some issues that no other candidates have made at the top of their platform. Particularly, Donald Trump has talked about the debt. He said only what he can say about it, because you know people put their lives in danger when they start talking about messing with the Federal Reserve or the Central Bank. But Donald Trump has talked about our debt and addressing those issues. He's talked about the Federal Reserve. He's said we are we, we basically are living in a fake uh, economy that's propped up by You know, fake money. Donald Trump has talked about actually securing our borders and the misuse of the 14th Amendment, anchor babies. He's talked about trade, which is the number one reason why we don't have jobs in America and why many of them have gone overseas. He's talked about local control of our educational system, judicial reforms. You know, in in terms of how blacks have been treated, he's even told black people, you ain't got nothing to lose by voting for me and everything to gain because I'm going to address the issues that many of the Democrats and black Democrats have only talked about but have done absolutely nothing to change it. Did you think that was a
1: a good statement on his part? Because I see I saw a lot of criticism on him about that statement, almost acting as if he was um, sort of talking down to to black Americans saying, uh, you know, with his because obviously so many people just blatantly call Donald Trump a racist and assume he's a racist. So anytime he addresses black people, they kind of see it through this this pre-decided filter of of this racist guy up there, which, you know, I have a lot of criticisms of Donald Trump, but frankly, I find the racism one to be to, to not really hold much
0: water. It doesn't hold any water. And it's a factual statement. Blacks have nothing to lose by voting for Trump because Democrats aren't going to do anything any differently towards the issues within the black community if we continue to reelect them. And it is a proven fact that the only time Democrats care about blacks is when it comes down to getting their votes and making them think that they are going to help them and the Republicans the racist Republicans are only going to try and keep them down so and and I'll give you the perfect example you have there are three men two of them have been leaders within the black community for at least the last 30 years and one at least the last 10 years and 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 the latter being Tavis Smiley then you have. Dr. Cornel West, and then you have Louis Farrakhan with a different segment of black people. Louis Farrakhan, Tavis Smiley, and Cornel West have all three said that Obama has done nothing for black people in addressing the issues that we deal with and A week and a half ago or last weekend, Obama gave a speech where he said, and what's on the table now is dealing with mass incarcerations. That's on the table. Obama could have addressed mass incarcerations in the first 90 days when he came into office by getting rid of the war on drugs and Bill Clinton's 94 crime bill where Hillary Clinton had two terms as a senator to do something about, but did absolutely nothing. So when Donald Trump says, Blacks, you ain't got nothing to lose by voting for me and everything to gain because I'm going to undo all of that nonsense, he's telling the truth. So it's not racist and it's not talking down the Blacks. He's just telling them "You." he's agreeing with Tavis Smiley Louis Farrakhan and Dr. Cornel West, that the Democrats and Obama have done absolutely nothing to address the grievances of black people. And the only time they are important is when it comes to an election.
1: Derek, I got a little more to grill you on when it comes to Donald Trump. But first, we need to take a little bit of a time out to tell our listeners about today's sponsors. You know, I'm a freelancer, and I purchased my own health insurance, and I was hit by some serious sticker shock after the implementation of Obamacare. My premiums and deductibles were skyrocketing. And as someone who keeps myself pretty healthy, I knew that I was getting a raw deal for a product I simply didn't want. This caused me to seek an alternative, and I found an amazing alternative in the form of health sharing, a killer concept where healthy individuals agree to share their medical costs. That's right. It's a voluntary free market system for paying for your health care that also, thanks to an exemption, covers the Obamacare mandate. Our friends at Health Excellence Select have kicked it up a notch by creating a full service package to handle all of your health care needs. Trust me, I'm not just a proponent of health sharing. I'm also a client. This has been one of the greatest things I've ever done to leave the Obamacare system in favor of what our friends at Health Excellence Select are doing. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com health. And don't hesitate to give my man Jeff Cantor a call at 440-283-684. Four nine. Be sure to mention Lions of Liberty. As a constitutionalist, are there any of Donald Trump's policies that give you pause? I mean, he has made statements regarding stop and frisk, uh, regarding torturing of terror suspects, things that to me are, are very blatantly unconstitutional. So are, do any of those policies uh, worry you at all, I guess, as someone who yes, does value the they, Constitution? Yeah,
0: yep. Yep. They, they give me pause. They give me pause. I don't like Some of the policies, like the health care, not the health care, I don't, yeah, the health care. I want Obamacare repealed, but I don't want the federal government to replace it. I don't believe we should be providing, you know, 90 days paid leave for pregnancies. I don't believe that federal government should be paying for education, because I don't ever recall hearing him say that. But yes, he has said, said some things that are not in line with being a constitutionalist. However, Donald Trump has addressed trade and the debt and giving us real substantive tax reform. If the debt is not dealt with and our fiat, fiat currency nothing else will matter. Second Amendment won't matter. First Amendment won't matter. Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment. None of that will matter anymore. Because if this economy is allowed to collapse by continuing on the path that we are on for globalism, nothing else matters. So I will take the anti-establishment part of Trump's platform And I am going to support that because he has enough of it in it to break the current system. He has completely made America aware of how corrupt the media is. When I ran in 2014 and they did a public poll on who won the first debate and it came back that I won, that was the last time the press talked about me. Because they didn't, I changed the room and they didn't want people to know.
1: I remember you telling me that two years ago on this
0: show. There you go. Donald Trump fooled them. They thought that Donald Trump was going to be a clown and self-destruct. I even have a newspaper clipping that I stole that pictured Donald Trump as the clown with the big red nose and the, you know, frilly collar and.
1: Could you imagine the outrage if a a major newspaper did that to Hillary Clinton?
0: (laughs) Or Obama. Right. Oh, absolutely. Or Obama. But everybody considered Trump a clown. But he fooled them. And everybody thought that he was going to bomb in the first debate. But he fooled them. Trump upset the apple cart, my friend. And the Republicans nor the Democrats don't like it. And Trump has made it clear. That there's only one party. There's only one party. Trump is fighting against Republicans and Democrats because they are trying to protect the one percenters who run the central bank that are trying to run the world.
1: Mr. Grayson, going back to that podcast two years ago, the last time you were on this show, you told me, and, and I quote, I will never vote for anyone that will go and compromise my freedoms away. So do you do you really believe that that Donald Trump is not someone who would compromise your freedoms?
0: No, I don't think he will. Donald Trump, what he has shown me is that he has evolved as he has moved forward over the last two years and learning. And many of the things that he talked about that he supported in the past going all the way back to the 90s. I have seen him change his position. Now, flip-flopping is when you change your positions because you want votes. But Donald Trump has changed his positions because he knows it's the right thing to do. Like no fly, what is it?
1: No fly, no buy.
0: No no fly, no buy. Donald Trump spoke with the nra and they made it plain to him people if they get put if you get put on a no-fly list you need to have a way to get off of it and that legislation is stalled and i don't think donald trump would would go for that donald trump believes in the second amendment all of it he doesn't believe in restricting our natural rights to own and bear arms as stated in the Constitution, but he did he come out in, in, the,
1: in that last debate and come out in favor of no fly, no buy.
0: Well, I in this first debate,
1: yeah, he did come out. Did he, it, he say
0: did. with no way? Okay, and, and understand what I'm saying. Did he say with no way for a person to get off of the no fly list?
1: Well, he did make a statement. You know, he basically said, you know, if if you end up on that list accidentally, we'll 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 make sure you get off it. Is what it was was the
0: addendum to that statement? OK, well, then, then there's nothing wrong with no fly, no buy. Well, but if, as... even,
1: even if you get on it and you're, quote unquote, the right person, isn't that still a situation where there was no due process? I mean, it's one thing if someone actually goes to court, is convicted of being a terrorist and then, OK, then don't let them fly. They should be in jail. But if someone hasn't actually gone through that due process, is there really any justification to disbar them from flying or disbar them from owning a, a weapon?
0: OK, well, you know, you know me. I wouldn't want to be put on the list and not know about it and not be able to get out of this. I wouldn't want to be put on it with no due process. However, that is what they have been trying to pass with no way to get off of the list. And I don't know what the details behind what Donald Trump may do on that later on. I hope that he will evolve on that as well. But you know, Donald Trump, Is the only one at the top of the ticket that's saying that you'll have a way to get off the list. And to me, that's better than nothing. And that is helping to protect our second. So I don't know all of his details behind it. But before, you had no way to get off the list. You didn't even know you was on it. So if he's talking about providing people with a way to get off it, that means we'll at least know that we got put it on in the first place. So. You know, I don't know all his details on that because I haven't heard the specifics, but people know where I am. And Donald Trump is enough of an anti-establishment guy that I am willing to take a chance on that because I know both parties don't want him. And here's a, a reality that most folk won't get. Now, I wrote in Ron Paul in 2012. But I knew Ron Paul was not going to win. But I wrote him in anyway because I didn't want to be responsible for uh, electing the Democrat or the Republican. This time around, I know the president is going to either be Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. Donald Trump is more of an anti-establishment guy than any Republican I have seen run in the last last four elections. I'm going all the way back to Bush and I'm willing to take a chance on the anti-establishment guy because I know that Gary Johnson and Jill Stein or any other right end, they're not going to win. That's just a fact.
1: And even if Gary Johnson had a chance, I mean, based on what you've said and your experience at the convention, you think he would just be establishment as well anyway?
0: Yes, I believe some of the things that Gary Johnson talks about, open borders, his support for TPP, I, I just can't get with it. I think Gary Johnson is an establishment guy. I think he's sold out to globalism. I'm sorry.
1: Derek, before I let you go, during, earlier in the program, you said that your main goal is is to educate America. That's why you went to the Libertarian Party Convention to give what you thought was just a speech. It turned out to be a nomination speech, uh, much to your surprise. But before I let you go, why don't you just tell everybody out there, uh, when, when you say you want to educate America, what is the main thing that you really want to educate Americans about? What is the main message that you want to get out there?
0: To give them a historical perspective that they may understand that We are all slaves to our current government, and they are looking to pull every tooth from the mouth of America so that we're in a position to where when the time comes, we can't fight back. The goal is to decimate the middle class so that there are only two classes, the royals supported by the 1% and the underclass who are... who who live and serve at the mercy of the ruling class. And that is what globalism is all about. But in order to become a global or a new world order, you have to get rid of the middle class people. You have to take away the voice of the middle class, the people who have the ability to make a difference. And so, you know, that's where we are. So I take people back to 1913, try to get them to understand that the ruling class makes race matter to us. They don't care about our race. We're all a slave to them. And that once they have eroded enough of our liberties and freedoms, particularly the first, the second, the fourth and the fifth amendments, there will be nothing else left because the 10th Amendment is basically useless anyway because all states now uh, have yielded. All of our state representation, they have representatives have yielded our sovereignty to the federal government so that they can be on the government tip.
1: Well, Derek Grayson, I know that not everyone in my audience is going to necessarily agree with your specific analysis when it comes to Donald Trump and Gary Johnson. But one thing I think just about everybody will be able to agree on is is the passion that you bring to the political debate and uh, and the value that you, that you bring with it, with with the honesty that you bring to the table here. And I, I, I always respect your passion, even when I do disagree with you. So I, I encourage you. I don't know. I, I know I don't need to because you're going to do it no matter what I say. But <laughs> I encourage you to keep up what you're doing, keep putting out those YouTube videos and and keep being a voice for liberty out there.
0: I most certainly shall. I most certainly shall. And who knows? I may be running uh, against Adam Kokesh in the Libertarian Party the next
1: time. Well, now you know what—that would be pretty damn exciting. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> That—that's a debate I—I w- I would pay to see. Derek, before I let you go, why don't you just give everybody the quick roundabout of of how they can find you, how they can find you on YouTube, how they can reach out to you, how they can find you on social media. Give them the whole deal.
0: Okay. Well, it's real simple. T M O T O F G A T out of Georgia. Put that in at the end of twitter.com or facebook.com or YouTube.com and you will see everything that I'm putting out there. but what I say, if you go to Facebook, you know, of course, it'll link you to my Twitter. It'll link you to my YouTube, because many things that I put on Facebook, you know, uh carries over to Twitter and and whatever I put on YouTube, it carries over to uh Facebook. Likewise. It's all, Twitter, connected. So. Yeah, all connected. Yeah, all connected.
1: Great stuff. All right, T-Mott, Derek Grayson, thank you so much once again for coming on the show. It's been a blast, and keep on roaring for liberty.
0: I shall, my friend. Take care of yourself.
1: Okay, folks, I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Derek Grayson, the always passionate, always fired up minister of truth, as he's also known, and he's an opinionated guy. There's no doubt about that. He has convictions. He has beliefs. Maybe I don't agree with his conclusions about Donald Trump. Maybe I think he's trying to stretch things just a little bit to justify supporting him. But hey, I can see the perspective. I can understand the perspective. I'm just a little skeptical of calling someone like Donald Trump anti-establishment when he, you know, has Bill Clinton at his wedding. I'm not not exactly convinced of how anti-establishment Donald Trump is, but I was pleased to have Derek share his reasoning for supporting Donald Trump on here. And to me, it was really interesting to hear his story about going to the Libertarian National Convention, about being very skeptical of Bill Weld, and certainly since that time, we have seen that most libertarians, even people that were supporting the Gary Johnson campaign from the beginning, are not really liking what they're seeing from Mr. Bill Weld. Probably due to the constant mind welds (laughs) that he is putting out there for us. And the reason I had Derek Grayson on the show today he's been on the show before but the reason I had him back on was because so many people over in the Lions of Liberty Forum our private Facebook group had asked me to do so and I listened to my fans and you can be part of this conversation as well if you just go ahead and join the Lions of Liberty Forum as of right now it costs you nothing to join that may change in the near future so you may want to get on board right now if you're listening today just search Lions of Liberty Forum in your little search bar on Facebook. We'll, of course, also link to it in today's show notes, which you can find over at lionsofliberty.com slash 253. And as always, guys, the best way, the number one way you can help this program grow and help advance the ideas of liberty is by sharing this program with your friends, with your family. Share from our Facebook page, facebook.com slash liberty. Retweet all our stuff. Follow us on Twitter at of liberty. Hey, maybe just drop an email to your mom, to your dad, to your grandma, anybody, and say, check out this podcast. Check out this Tima. Check out the Minister of Truth. Boy, is he fired up. (laughs) Of course, the other way you can help us is by leaving us a five-star rating and a great review over on iTunes, over on Stitcher Radio. However you listen to this program, it is very crucial that we get those five-star ratings and those great reviews from you guys to bring more people over to this program This coming Friday, don't forget, we've got another edition of John Odermatt's Felony Friday, the weekly look at the broken criminal justice system. Until next time, folks, live long and live free.